So today I get to interview Jordan Berry, a real estate broker here in California, but really focusing, a business broker, focusing on the laundromat space. And this is really exciting for me because as you guys know, we talk to real estate agents and investors. This is a play that could be a real estate play. You could buy the, the thing, but it has a business attached, one that has a lot of cash flow. And obviously you guys know we're focused on financial freedom. And this is a method that you, we've been hearing a lot about from different gurus across the country. But I wanted to bring in somebody in a group that I know so that I could actually deliver some truth to you guys, ask the right questions, hopefully to unlock this, if this might be a potential desire investment. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Take us into it. Like, where was the discovery of the laundromat for you and your journey? Yeah, Matt, thanks, man. Uh, honor to be here. Super excited uh, to be talking laundromats always. You think they're yep. not that exciting, but I get right? very excited. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so funny story for me. So, I, you know, I, I was a pastor for a bunch of years and uh, came time. I had small kids and stuff. I was just ready to sort of take a break from doing that vocationally and was trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, it turns out, you know, when your education is in pastoral ministry and your experience is all in pastoral ministry, like, what do you do when you don't want to do pastoral ministry anymore? And so right. uh, I had, it was a real struggle for me, to be honest with you. Um, so I was trying to figure out a direction in life. I, uh, you know, my, I, the idea I came up with, I thought was genius. I still think it's genius, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, we live here in Southern California. We under house, we had two small kids. And I was like, why don't we just rent out our house? take our chunk of money that we have in the bank. Let's go buy a condo on the beach in Hawaii and, uh, you know, live there, do whatever, you know, for jobs yeah. for a little while. Yeah. And, uh, and then when our kids are school age, we can come back if we want to California and, uh, you know, net gain condo on the beach. hundred percent. And, yeah. uh, my yeah. wife said we could do that or we could buy a laundromat. Whoa. And, uh, yeah. So, which is uh, very uncharacteristic of her actually, uh, to come up with an idea like that. But where it came about is her parents have a family friend who's, you know, whose son, uh, you know, was, is, is in tech in, uh, up in the San Francisco Bay area and, uh, left his tech job because he bought a laundromat and he was working like five hours a week and replaced his income with one laundromat, uh, his tech income. And that sounded really awesome to us. Uh, so we decided to take our, our chunk of money and go buy a laundromat and try to live that dream. Uh, and we can get into how that turned out in a little bit, but I'll pause in case you yeah. have anything to say there. Yeah. So, so basically your wife knew somebody that, that did that. So what was the attraction for her? Was, was it just that financial security or what was, what was she coming from? Yeah, it was, uh, yes. So, you know, everything we had heard about laundromats is that they're, they're passive and they're secure and there's, you know, a stack gets thrown around. I still to this day don't know where the stat comes from and how accurate it is. But, you know, the stat is, you know, laundromats are 95% success rate. And, uh, and so, you know, the idea behind it was, and this was before I knew anything about real estate investing, about business ownership. I had never read Rich Dad Poor Dad at this point, uh, you know, and so, but the idea was, kind of that concept, right? Of like having money coming in and it's not tied to your time. And, you know, I want to spend time with the family, spend time with the kids. And, uh, that, that was sort of the concept behind it. And it seemed to be working for this family friend. And so we were like, yeah, let's do it. So I want to dive into the, oh, well, actually let's continue the story a little bit. So, so you discover that, uh, you, you know, this person that you guys know retired off of one deal, and then obviously you went after it. Tell us about the first deal you acquired. 
Yeah, it was awesome. So we, uh, I say that a little facetiously. So we, you know, I, there was really no information out there. This was yeah. almost a decade ago. Now there was really nothing out there. Uh, in fact, it was sort of intentionally closely guarded, uh, you know, all this information about the laundromat industry. And, uh, so I just really struggled finding information. So what that meant was, I had to largely rely on, I, so I talked to that family friend of my wife's uh, and a, a little bit, but I largely relied on the broker uh, to help me out. And it just turned out that that broker did not have my best interest in my, I, you know, listen, I, I talk about this now, it, it's embarrassing, but I was like super naive and I just didn't know any better yeah. um, and made a yeah. ton of mistakes. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it, cost me. So I bought a, what we call a zombie mat. It's a fixer upper. Um, I bought it all cash and then financed new equipment, did a lot of the repairs myself. Uh, business actually did like double basically, uh, which was good. But you know, as the broker was kind of selling it to us, you know, we, we were supposed to be making, you know, five to $7,000 net a month. And I, for like 18 or so months, we were losing a couple grand a month. Uh, so it was a real, you know, punch to the gut. I had left my yeah. job. So there's just a lot of financial stress, which led to relational stress in the family. It was tough. And I like, I was like desperate to like figure out what, what am I doing wrong? And that, that yeah. whole 95% success rate kept playing in my head. And I'm like, how is it possible? <laughs> right. I'm one of the 5% that can't make it. Yeah. Like, how is this possible? Like, and it, it messed with me, man. It, it really did mess with me. And, uh, I, I was just desperate to try to figure out what to do. And I could not find anybody to help me. Um, and I like, we have an association here. I literally got on the phone with the CEO and like, I just couldn't get any practical, tangible advice and help. Uh, so really just had to kind of claw my way out of that on, on my own. So it was, it was a rough, rough start in the industry, especially considering kind of where I'm at now. So. It yeah. sounds like from the way you're saying it, that that business did turn around. Yeah, um, it did turn around. It never, it never did what the broker said it was going to do. Yeah. And it was never going to do what the broker said it was going to do. I know that now, uh, but I didn't at the time. So, so what, what profitability did you achieve with that in the final analysis? Uh, so I, I think it, it, that it was a small laundromat. I think it kept yeah. out at a net of about 3000. So it was doing like yeah. 12,000 a month. Uh, yeah. And, you know, expenses were around nine. Uh, the yeah. lease was high. You know, there's, I did a lot of stuff wrong. So, yeah. And so I ended up selling, I ended up selling that one down the line. Uh, actually okay. just relatively recently I sold that one. Uh, and you know, it becomes, you know, there, there's a point where, you know, the deals are small and you're ready for something, something bigger. bigger. So, yeah. So, so talking about size, like for, for a person getting started, what do you feel like is a good size of laundromat for someone to start with? So, you know, one, one of the interesting things is that, you know, there's, there's some smaller laundromats, there's some bigger laundromats, there's some real big laundromats. The amount of work to run a large laundromat versus running a small laundromat is the Delta is small. There's not a huge difference, you yeah. know, from running a 5,000 square foot laundromat versus a 1500 square foot laundromat. It's just more machines, which, you know, could be more maintenance and stuff, but cost, generally yeah. you can benefit from from the scale of that too. Uh, so you got, you know, more income coming in to hire people and to help and stuff. So 
so I would say size is less of a factor. Um, it's, it's more a factor of the, the whole time versus money thing, right? Like the more money you have or the more money the business makes, kind of the less time you have to put in because you can outsource yeah. a lot of stuff um, versus, you know, when I got in, I, I bought a, you know, fixer upper and didn't have a ton of money. So I did a lot of the work myself. So it was just more of a time commitment there. So really it depends on what your goals are and what your situation is. You can get into laundromats with relatively little money. I mean, same as like real estate, um, yeah. or you can go in and drop seven figures on a laundromat. So there's lots of different ways to get in this business and, and to operate it. So like if you, if you listen to Grant Cardone, he'll say like, don't buy anything under 40 units because at 40 units, you could hire a, a person that, you know, lives there and manages. Is there kind of like a square footage or a number of machines? Like at this level, you really have operational, you have enough gross revenue to operationally put the right people in place. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a little bit of, it depends there. I'm going to try to like yeah. give you some parameters around that. Most yeah. of my answers are going to be, it depends. Uh, yeah. but you know, around that half a million dollar plus mark, uh, mm. of, uh, of value is where yeah. you can start to benefit from some of that. Um, or, and, or, you know, two to three laundromats in a, in a the same area, the same region. A lot of times if you have two or three, you can hire a, a manager to kind of oversee, uh, oversee that stuff too. Uh, but you know, one of the benefits of laundromats is that, you know, with one deal that you're doing yourself, you can escape that nine to five, you know, one to three deals is, is what I say, depending on the size of the mat and your cash flow yeah. needs. Location. How important is location in the laundromat space and, and what is a good location? Yeah. I mean, it's crucial. It's like, it's kind of like real estate on steroids. I mean, the, you know, there's so much infrastructure you need for a laundromat that it's really, it's difficult if not impossible, most times to move a laundromat. Um, I know people who have done it, but it's costly, time consuming, all that, right? So you've got to be in the right place, especially if you're, you know, most laundromats are are centered around self-service, right? So customers come in and do their laundry. You're really not doing anything. You're renting out your machine. So it's kind of a rental uh you know, like a rental business there. Uh, you're renting your machines, customers are doing the work, all that stuff, right? So you've got to be in proximity to those customers. So depending on if you're in an urban area versus a suburban versus kind of a more rural area, will, you know, depend on how, you know, what what radius you're kind of looking at in terms of, of the people. But I mean, location is crucial. You're looking for, you know, uh, a concentration of people who are, generally below median income. That's who's using self-serve. Um, you're looking for larger households or better, right? Larger households, more people, more laundry. And especially if they have kids, we all know kids are filthy, disgusting creatures, right? And uh, <laughs> need a lot of laundry. So uh, yeah, so larger households, uh, renter demographic for the self-serve. Um, however, there is a huge growth happening right now in our industry with, um, you know, wash, dry, folder, drop off laundry and pickup and delivery laundry, which still a lot of people don't even know exists. It's we're really scratching the surface and that's a completely different demographic, right? So it kind of depends on your business model a little bit too, on what you're, what you're looking for. If you're, if you're wanting to have a pickup and delivery business along with your self-serve, you know, you're, you might want to straddle an area that has some higher income, you know, or small businesses that you can service. 
um, versus your self-serve, which is a little bit lower income and more renter-based demographic. Interesting. Okay. So on the self-serve side, like, you know, if we think, when I think about residential, I think about A class, B class, C class type stuff. So in this, this would be your CD class, you know, like, like yeah. type of thing. I mean, obviously if you're talking about that, I mean, maybe it's an area that has a little bit more crime. Like, I mean, how do you think about safety in those elements? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there's, there are definitely like what we call in real estate, like war zone laundromats. I got, I have one in South central LA. Yeah. Kind of a, probably a war zone kind of laundromat. But what I've found is that, you know, you're, you're going to encounter, you're going to encounter issues, right? Whenever you have people, whenever you have machines, there's going to be problems. Laundromats have a lot of both coming through them, right? So you're going to have problems. If you're in these rougher areas, what I found is that the, the majority of the problems that laundromat owners have, have to do with, you know, vandalism, graffiti, stuff like that. And a lot of those problems are mitigated if you have somebody there. So kind of the rougher the area, the more important it is to have somebody there at all times. Um, You know, when you think of laundromats, a lot of times you think of, you know, these businesses where they're unattended, you don't need employees and stuff like that. And you don't, Um, but you do have to kind of factor in the location a little bit and the demographics around the area. So there's, there's a, there's a happy middle ground there there too, where, you know, the good neighborhoods just, you know, maybe like a blue collar neighborhood. It's not necessarily a war zone. It's just, you know, most of the people are below median income, but it's still like a good neighborhood and good people and you know, all that. So, so you mentioned earlier 500,000 you know, is a good potential barometer of a spend for a a business that might have the potential to, uh, you know, have employees and and that type of thing. So like, how should people think about the real estate end of it? Like, as far as lease costs, what's a, what's a healthy number to have as a lease cost or if they buy the property as a, as a payment? Yeah. So the general kind of the number I'm pinpointing, right. And, and, you know, I get asked all the time, how do I know if a lease is a good lease or not? Right. Yeah. So there's two kind of main factors. There's a whole lot obviously that goes into it, but two kind of main factors to look at, you know, at a, at a glance. So number one is your rent amount, obviously how much yeah. rent is and the way that you know, whether it's a good rent amount or not is I, I pinpoint 25% of gross income, right? So I'd like to be at or around 25% of gross income or obviously below is even better. Um, and then obviously if you're, you're, you're in, like uh, more expensive, if you're in like LA, New York, some of these more expensive markets, you know, if you creep up over that 25, that's okay. Um, once you hit like 33, 35% and higher, then either you're you're signing on to a really bad lease or you're walking into a situation where you know the, the business is not really performing and you're expecting to increase your income to get those percentages more in line. Um, so that's the first factor. The second factor would be how much time is on the lease. And I kind of mentioned there's a lot of infrastructure that goes into laundromats, really tough to move them. So if you don't have a long lease, your business is really at risk, right? So if a landlord, your lease comes up and landlord says, hey, it's been great, but we're not going to renew your lease. All of a sudden you don't have a business anymore and you can't really move it. And so you can try to recoup some value by selling equipment used if it's worth anything. Uh, but you don't have any equity in that business and, and that's kind of it. Or if a landlord says, Hey, we love having you here, but we're going to double rent. Uh, then you're in a tough spot because you're 
not only is your cash flow going to go down because your expenses are up, but also, you know, the value of a laundromat's based on its net income. And so you just lost a bunch of equity in your business too. So it's a tight spot, you know, that you're in there in that situation. So you want to have a long lease and there's not really like a typical lease, but if I was trying to like give you some parameters to work with something like a 10 year lease with two five-year options to renew would be something I'd be shooting for two or three five-year options to renew. So that'd be something I'd be shooting for. So if you're talking the 20, 25 year range with including options. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and got an inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. So let's talk about the thought process behind you know, developing one, let's say you have a, a big building that you have access to that you own or, or that you have, you could have a hundred year lease on it. Um, what's the thought process about developing one? You know, is that, is that valuable? Is that not a good idea? Uh, it depends. I mean, so, yeah. it, I mean, it could be a great idea. Like a laundromat, one of the benefits of a laundromat is that they're very stable, uh, you know, and so you're, you're pretty much, if you can get it to the point where it's, you know, it's making money, uh, when you build new, then you're going to have a stable tenant, you know, for your property, whether you're running it or somebody else is running it. Uh, you know, and so it can be a great play there. And in fact, you can force a lot of equity by, you know, offloading a lot of expenses to that laundromat from the property with a triple net lease or something like that. And through, you know, charging top of the market rent, right? You can force a lot of appreciation in your property. And uh, so it can be a really great play, but there's some things to consider too, right? Machines are not cheap. Um, you know, if, depending on the size of the space, you're, you're looking at multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment in machines. Uh, so that's one thing to consider. Um, and depending on where you are there, there's something uh, that uh, there's a lot of like ridiculous government fees and taxes and stuff like that. But it's got to be at the top of the list. There's something called an impact fee. And it's basically uh, just a thumbs up. It's not a it's not a permit. It's not anything. Like, it's just like a thumbs up. Like, okay, we are, we're going to allow you to connect to the sewer line. And that impact fee, and, and usually it's charged by the number of washing machines. And that impact fee can be almost nothing or nothing. Sometimes there are no impact fees. 
Um, but also that impact fee can be very cost prohibitive in, in certain areas, right? So for example, I have an investment fund. We were looking at, uh, at building out a 3,000 square foot, square foot space, awesome location. Um, and for that 3,000 square foot space, the impact fee alone, again, this is not a permit. This is not construction. This is not anything else. This is just a thumbs up. It was going to be $390,000. And so that pretty much killed that deal. So if you're considering, you know, uh, putting in a, a laundromat, I'd be looking at that impact fee uh, right off the bat. And then the second thing I'd be doing is getting a, I, I'd be talking to a few different distributors and finding one that's going to actually be helpful to you. Not all of them are, They're not all created equal. Um, and, and starting to get quotes on how much those machines are going to cost. Those are going to be your, your biggest expenses in terms of building out a laundromat. Yeah. How long do the machines typically last with, with that kind of use? Um, so traditionally, uh, you know, in, in the industry, the mindset has been make them last as long as you can. It's a badge of honor. If you've got like 30, 40 year machines, one, uh, one thing that I'm working hard to change is that mindset. Uh, cause I don't think that that serves communities. Well, when you've got machines, it's like a, it's like a slot machine, right? You put your quarters in it and is it going to work this time? Is it not going to work? Right. Yeah. Um, but what I've found, so, so I have a podcast and I talk to laundromat owners and industry professionals. Right. And one of the things I have been asking is like, how, you know, how long until you replace your machines? And what I've found is that the best people in the industry are replacing their machines about every 15 years. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that is a better benchmark than keep them limping along as long as possible. <laughs> I kind of went through that journey financially too, like with cars, right? At the beginning of your life, you're so poor, right? You're like, you buy the car at, yeah. at 100,000 miles and you realize, yeah, you get more depreciation if you buy it earlier in the cycle, but you never deal with the problems. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and like, it took me a while to understand that that point of view was actually a much better point of view financially and otherwise. Definitely peace of mind yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and time-wise, right? And it's not like you have a car. It's like you have 30 cars, right? Yeah. <laughs> With all these machines going right? on. So multiply yeah. that by like 30 and and that's the nightmare you're living in when you have 30-year-old machines. And given given the whole premise for most people that are buying into this type of investment, and the idea is passive. And if you've got machines breaking down left and right, you have essentially created the exact monster you hope to avoid. Um, you've traded your tech job for a for a laundryman repair manager job. That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah. Okay. So obviously it, it depends as you say, but it could be very cost prohibitive to build if you have high impact fees and you just got to be really ready. It sounds like to put a lot of money into machines. Is there loans for all this stuff or do people need to prepare to bring cash? Yeah. So, so all this stuff can be leveraged, right? The acquisition can be leveraged. If you're going a traditional route for the acquisition right now, this is, August, 2023, uh, you know, and this is changing a lot right now, but right now what I'm seeing is a lot of for acquisition, a lot of lenders are looking for 35 to 40% down. Um, and you know, inflation is and, and interest rates are all kind of weighing in on this. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. Uh, so that's what I'm, I'm seeing in terms of down payments for that machine costs. On the other hand, a lot of times you can get those hundred percent financed. And a lot of times they'll do things like uh, defer payments for three months and then do interest only for six months. You know, for example, don't, you know, quote me on that. But, you know, sure. as an example, 
of things that they'll do to help you get start to benefit from you know from the cash flow from having new machines and stuff like that. So the financing on the equipment side, especially, is very attractive because you can allow your business to pay for those machines for you. So yeah, maybe you're dropping three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on machines depending on the size, but the business is paying for it for you, and you're benefiting from having those machines in terms of probably getting some new customers because you have brand new shiny stuff. We all like shiny things. You can raise your prices because you have the newest machines in town. You know, you're getting some uh, utility efficiencies, you know, from these machines and, and on and on and on. Right. So there's a lot of benefits to that in addition to the financing options too. Um, how hard is it if you build and obviously location is going to matter, but how hard is it to, to bring in a lot of clients in a, in a laundromat, let's say the location's decent, right? You're, you're in, let's say a self-serve area that's got a lot of, you know, employment surrounding you. Um, is it kind of just sell itself or would there have to be a huge marketing push? Um, I would, I would, if I was investing money into building out a new location, I would definitely earmark some for a marketing push. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about it, everybody who you need to come do their laundry at your new facility is currently doing their laundry somewhere else. Yeah. Right. And this business, one of the strengths of it is that it's a very habitual, well, I, I mean, I call it a habitual or rhythmic Recurring business. Revenue. Right. Yep. And so people just kind of get into the habit. I go to this place. A lot of times they go the same day at the same time. I go every Tuesday at nine o'clock or whatever. And so you have to snap them out of that routine and help them create a new pattern. Right. And so I would definitely make a, a big marketing push if I was opening a new location. Um, and you know, there's some, there's some, uh, you know, tricks and tips that you can, you know, make a good solid push. For example, a lot of laundromats now are starting to finally add digital payment systems, right? Whether that's a loyalty card or credit cards or an app. Um, one of the best promotions that I see working right now is, uh, is a, a double your money campaign, right? So if you've got a loyalty card in your, in your store, your brand new store, and you say, Hey, for every dollar you put on this loyalty card for the first month that we're open, we're going to double it. So you put 10 bucks on, we're going to give you another 10. You put a hundred bucks on, we're going to give you another, another hundred. You put thousand dollars on, we'll give you another thousand. And the benefit of that is obviously that's like free money. So people love that. But once they have money on their card that they can only spend at your location, they're going to be coming back. And, you know, all the, all the research I've seen says, Hey, if you can get a customer coming three times, then pretty much they're your customer to lose at that point. So as long as you yeah. take good care of them, they're coming back. So it's a really effective sort of promotion and technique. So I would couple that something like that with a, an advertising push. Um, again, traditionally in this business, We've been very anti-advertising, which has not been great, but the benefit of that is it's pretty low-hanging fruit now. So if you can even do a decent job at advertising, you can really benefit. You can have sort of outsized returns for you. Awesome. And so have you seen anybody doing a program where like you uh, you pay X amount per month and you just wash as much as you as you like? 
I have, but I don't recommend that. And here's why is you, tell me why. this is what I, I say this. Uh, I say this a lot, especially when you're analyzing a deal, it's tough to analyze them, right? Cause they're cash businesses and yada, yada, yada. But similar in this, you got to put on your inner junior high hat. Right. Yeah. And when I was in junior high, I was always looking for ways to kind of get in trouble. Right. So hmm. if, if you were to say, Hey, I have a subscription, you know, and you can do as much laundry as you want. You pay whatever, 200 bucks a month or whatever it is. Right. I'm going to be like, put on my inner junior high hat and be like, okay, well, why don't I just go talk to all my neighbors? Yep. We'll all pool our money, do $200 a month. And now we're doing our whole block for 200 bucks. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. So yep. it's, and it's really hard to regulate that. Sure. I have seen people doing that with pickup and delivery a little bit more, but yeah. even that's a little sketchy. Cause you don't know, like you could still do something similar. Uh, yeah. Just the price points a little higher. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So you'd have to kind of rely on people not scam gaming the system. And obviously yeah. that would be the value for a lot of people. So what would you say like are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making in the laundromat space? Yeah. So where where people end up failing or crashing and burning are number one, not valuing the laundromat correctly on the acquisition side. I mean, it's that's the same as real estate, right? But it's a little trickier with laundromats because they're cash businesses. And I kind of half joke, we tend to be either really, really bad at keeping the books. I mean, I've literally had napkins handed to me with P&Ls, uh, literally. Um, or we tend to be really good at keeping the books. Like, like maybe we even have more than one book laying around yeah. somewhere, right? Not and good. nudge, nudge, wink, wink, right? It's cash business. And I, for the record, I don't recommend operating that way. No, not right? just, yeah. not just because of the ethics, which I, you know, morally, yeah. ethically, whatever I legally, you know, I yeah. obviously I, I agree with that, but I also think it devalues your business a lot when you, yeah. you keep multiple sets of books. And so, um, however, you're going to run across that a lot. So valuing incorrectly, uh, is a huge, uh, you know, a huge way that you can go wrong. That's what I did early on. Uh, one of the things, another, uh, place where people fail is signing onto a bad lease, um, a bad lease will kill you, um, especially because we're signing on to a long-term lease. And usually those leases have some sort of escalator. So if you start off too high and then it goes up 3% every year, that compounds uh, over time. And so that can really dig into a hole. Um, and then another kind of point of failure is being undercapitalized. Uh, you know, you can get in this business with relatively little money. However, if and when something goes wrong early on, if you don't have the capital to weather any kind of storm that might happen or any kind of, you know, uh, dip or, or miss uh, valuation of the business early on, that can really put you dead in the water, you yeah. know, from the get go. So those are, those are three of the big kind of fail points that I see. Awesome. And what's your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months? Uh, well, I mean, I think, uh, number one, I, I, I think larger laundromats for me are in the future. I don't think I'll buy smaller ones anymore. That's why I bought early on. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of how I got into the business learned all those super valuable lessons, uh, super yeah. expensive, I should say lessons and valuable. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of on that side. On the other side, I really love, like I mentioned, I have a podcast. I'm talking to owners all the time. We have a platform laundromatresource.com. 
you know, and I, I do consulting calls and all that. Um, and one of the benefits of what I've done is that I have been able to talk with literally hundreds and hundreds of people in these consulting calls. I do webinars every week and I've been gathering questions from people. I've been gathering insights from current owners and how they're doing stuff. And so I am really, you know, the, the name of the platform is a lot of my resource. I'm really just trying to be the resource that people can go to uh, and get solid answers to their questions uh, about laundromats. Because like I said, if you get into this business, I can't even remember if we mentioned this in here, but if you get into this business right the first time, sky's the limit for you because a typical average laundromat, you're going to return 20 to 25% on your investment unleveraged, right? For, for a base hit laundromat. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously if you apply a loan, a leverage to that, uh, that number can go up from there. Uh, and, and it can go up pretty significantly if you do it correctly. Um, yeah. and so even a base hit in this business, you know, sky's the limit for you. I, you know, one to three laundromats, you can exit your nine to five. If that's your goal, you can do it pretty quickly. Um, and so, you know, getting in right the first time is, is the best. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got tons of free, uh, resources, tools, obviously the podcast, all that stuff. We've got a very comprehensive, uh, course. Um, and you know, if you want to take a look at that, I'll, I'll send you a link and you can put that in the show notes, but that has not just all the all the information you need to, you know, uh, to, to val to find and value and, uh, and verify the income and expenses of a laundromat, um, but also the tools that are going to help you do it quickly and easily, uh, there. So I, I, my hope is that I'm spending the majority of my time helping people attain financial freedom. And if laundromats are, are the vehicle to do that, then I want to be the person that helps helps you do that. So that's my dream for the next 12 to 18 months. Love it. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on, sharing about your life and your business. For those of you out there listening, please write down something you learned from this episode. For me, it's it's the takeaway is that obviously bigger in this case is probably better. It's where Jordan's heading. And a lot of times you see that in people's journey. Um, maybe that's not the takeaway for you. Write down what you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 